The reading this morning is from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our Father God, we do pour out our praise to you because you are worthy of our praise. Uh, you are so good. Your, your love for us is boundless. Uh, Father, just as we now um, hear from your word, I pray that, as always, we're humble before it, um, and I pray we have a desire to obey it. Amen. Just to add my welcome to James, um, and also welcome to mums here. It's a very special Mother's Day. I hope um, your kids spoilt you this morning. We did nothing for Becky at my place because I was nervous about my sermon, so she'll get something after church. Um, yeah, confession time. No. Um, to start, I, I was fortunate enough, I think about 20 years ago, to head over to the States. Um, I went over there for summer camps, and one of the things I did there, one of the highlights for me over there was going to the Grand Canyon. Um, I'm not sure if you've ever been there or if you've ever experienced the Grand Canyon, but it's massive. It, it, it's seriously massive. At, at its widest point, it's about 30 kilometres across. Uh, it's about two kilometres straight down. Uh, it stretches about 450 kilometres. That's further than here to Nelson. So this is the Grand Canyon. It's huge. Um, and, and I found out, interesting fact, I found out that it was named the Grand Canyon about 1870. Uh, before that, it was called the Big Canyon. <laughs> Very underwhelmingly, they, I think they decided wisely to change that. Uh, now, you can see it in pictures, and, and you can go there and you can, well, you can see it in pictures and you can see it in TV or in movies, uh, but it's really only when you get up close to it that you get a sense of how vast it is. Only standing at the very edge of it, you get a sense of how massive the Grand Canyon is. And, and that's similar, in a way, to what's happening in our passage today. Our passage is a prayer written for the benefit of God's people so that they can try and grasp something that's simply incredible. Uh, it was important for Paul to write it to the Ephesians, and, and it's just as important for us today. Uh, and, and of course, not just today, but every day, every day as we seek to faithfully follow Jesus in our lives. Uh, now, we'll, we'll work through it, so hopefully you can follow it on the screen behind me. Uh, but it's, it's essentially a prayer of two halves, uh, and essentially it's a prayer for power, uh, firstly, we can see the power that Christ would dwell in our hearts by faith. In verse 16, verse 16, Paul says that, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. 
Uh, Paul, throughout his writing, he, he often describes himself as very weak, uh, as weak in faith. He, he describes himself as being very weak. And in a sense, so are we, aren't we? We're all so very weak at times. Uh, we're weak in the face of evil, aren't we? We're weak in the face of temptation. Uh, we're weak in the situations and circumstances in life that we find ourselves in. And we, and we can keep thinking that our main problem in life is, is just our circumstances that we're in. You know, if only I can change the circumstances, things will be better. But we forget time and time and time again that the Bible reminds us that it's not the circumstances that we find ourselves in that's the issue, but it's our hearts that's the issue. And our hearts are often really, really weak. And it's in the face of our weakness that Paul prays for power. He prays that out of God's glorious riches, verse 16, that he may strengthen these Christians with power through his spirit in their inner being. Uh, that, that is out of the infinite source of God's strength, uh, which is his to give, his glorious riches, and that he would now strengthen these Christians. You have to think about how awesome and how mighty God is. I read somewhere there's apparently a, a billion trillion stars in the universe. I don't know who had the job of counting, but apparently there's a billion trillion stars in the universe. And all of them were made by God. He brought them into existence with a word. God is incredible. How powerful is that? And here Paul says, says that this God, the one who made the stars, he will strengthen you. It's kind of like um, you imagine a boxing glove just sitting on a table, sort of hanging over the back of a chair, a boxing glove. By itself, the boxing glove is pretty useless. It's pretty feeble, isn't it? The boxing glove by itself. It can't do much. It's not powerful at all, is it? Uh, but when a trained boxer picks it up, puts his hand into it, laces it up, and starts to use it, then you can see the power which is now in the glove. And, and that's what he's talking about here. He's praying that by God's Spirit in us, we'd be empowered. And why? Well, it says so that Christ would dwell in us by faith. Uh, you might ask, well, I thought Christ was already in my heart. I'm a Christian. I thought Christ was already dwelling in me already. And, and he is. Yeah, totally he is. And, and it's one of the amazing mysteries that we read about how that happens. But Paul's speaking about something much more than Christ just, just being in our hearts. Paul is talking about Christ ruling in our hearts. Uh, Paul's choice of word for dwelling here it, it carries the idea more of being a permanent resident rather than just a, a short-term resident. It's not you know, the word to describe someone staying in a hotel briefly. Rather, it's a word to describe someone who's lived in their own home for a long time. Of course Christ dwells in the hearts of those who love him from the moment they turn to him in faith. But what he's asking is that Christ may occupy their hearts in such a way that it transforms them. It's interesting, uh, when you do go around to people's houses just to see the, the different quirks that people have in their different homes. I'm sure when you've visited different people's houses, you see different things, you wonder what's going on there. It might be in the photos that they've decided to put up on the wall or the, the cat pictures that they may have around their room or the pink that they might have or anything. Uh, and, and the more that someone lives in their house, the more it's going to reflect who they are. When a person takes up long-term re residence somewhere, their presence eventually characterises the place. 
And when Christ first moves into our lives, he finds us in a, in a bad way. And it takes a great deal of power to change us. And, and that's why Paul prays for power. Jesus is transforming us continually into a house that pervasively reflects his own character. And that's what Paul's talking about here in this first prayer, that his prayer for the Ephesians is that their heart just might be characterised by the presence of the one who dwells in them. He's asking that their hearts may increasingly look like places where Christ dwells. It's fundamentally just a prayer to be Christ-like, It's a prayer that the Ephesians values, that their character, that the way that they live their lives might more and more reflect Christ's values and Christ's character and Christ's way of life. And it's a crucial prayer. I hope you can see that. I mean, given the tendency of the Ephesians and us totally to turn to to worldliness, uh, to turn to selfishness, to turn to sin, this is a prayer that we all need. And we all need someone praying for that for us daily. Uh, but I hope you can see it's no small thing, is it? It's no just quick fix, no sudden thing. It's not a small thing. When Christ takes up residence in your heart, it's not an instant, sudden transformation instantly. Uh, he will do that ultimately in the end. But in the meantime, he's very patient with us, slowly, gradually fixing the things that, are, that need to be fixed and changing us so that we're more Christ-like. It's a no small thing to ask of God, this prayer, but God is more than happy to listen to this prayer and, and he can answer it totally because of his glorious riches. Uh, Paul goes on in verse 17, uh, the second part of his prayer. He says that, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Uh, This is a prayer that the Ephesians would grasp God's love. And and again, um, for them and for us, he's not praying for something that they don't have already. He's praying for an increase in something that they do have, something that they need more and more and more. He says in verse 17 at the start that they're already rooted and established in love. They know Christ and their lives are already built on that. But he's praying that they may know more of it. And it totally makes sense. You you think about for our relationships that we have with other people. Uh, Just because we need to know that the same exists there. Just because we long to know the depths of someone's love for us doesn't doesn't mean we doubt their love. It just means we long to know it more. You might know someone loves you, but it's still great when they express it, isn't it? Because you grow to know more of them that way and you grow to know more of their love that way, more and more. The Ephesians, they know that Christ loves them, but Paul prays that they know it better and more powerfully. He prays that they know the full dimensions of God's love. He says the width, the length, the height, the depth of Christ's love. Uh, there's, there's many different ways to understand uh, what that means, the, the, the depth, the width, the height, the length of God's love. Uh, the width of God's love. It could be the grace in, in saving all Jews and Gentiles, you know, having them all as part of his church. Uh, the length of God's love could be extending through eternity, you know, how God chose us before, uh, before creation of everything and, and revealing to us at the end the blessings of things to come. 
It could be the depths of God's love. That we were sunk down deep in our sin, in our state of rebellion against him. And he lowered himself to come and rescue us. And the height of his love. We're not only being raised up with Christ, we'll share in his glory as we do now. Now, they're those things, those small things, but they're not just those things. In this bit here, we're trying to describe infinity, and it's just too incredible for us sometimes. We're trying to describe the vastness of God's love for us in Jesus. And Paul's prayer here is that they, together with all of us, together with all of God's people, would grasp how really loved they are by Christ that you would realize how loved you are by Christ. And it's a prayer not just as an intellectual thing. Uh, You could know the Bible completely, but still not know the love of Christ. And it's not just an emotional thing either. Uh, We don't turn our brains off. We don't bypass our intellect. Understanding the truths in the Bible which tell us what God's like and what we're like is a huge part in developing deep and strong convictions. And most importantly, though, our convictions about what Christ was doing on the cross. Paul's praying that as the Ephesians reflect on what Christ did for them in history, that they would see in his nailed out arms both the width and the length of his love. And they'd see in his body on the cross the height and the depth of his love as well. Christ on the cross, it tells us something we already know. It tells us that Christ loves us, but it says it with such a power and an understanding that just can't be matched. So Paul's praying for the Ephesians that as they reflect on that expression of Christ's love, so too would they come to comprehend it more in their lives every day, more and more. And we know that's the sort of prayer we need, isn't it? I need to pray that more and more often. We all need to pray that more and more often, and not just for ourselves, we need to pray that for one another. We need to be remembering that daily. The thing is, we're so self-centred, and we doubt God's love for us. We look at ourselves and we judge God's love on what's happening with us at our current circumstances and what's going on with us. You know, if things aren't going the way we want it, we doubt God's love. If you're ever doubting whether God loves you or not, don't look at yourself, please. Look at what Jesus did for you. And then Paul goes on, slightly a a paradox here in verse 19. He wants us to know this love and to understand this love. And he says, I want to know you to know this love that surpasses all knowledge. He prays that they know something that can't fully be known. Uh, trying to understand God's love. We can know of it, but we've got no chance of comprehending its vastness. I mean, you think of some of the vast things that, that we can, you know, have an interaction with in our daily lives in a way. We, the ocean. The ocean is vast and massive. Space, we can look into space. Space is massive. How vast is space? But we can learn more of its vastness and its depth, can't we? We can't know it completely, but we can know more and more and learn more and more about it, can't we? I know that the oceans are big, 
but it's the oceanographers, it's the, the submarine crew, it's all the people who interact with it. They understand it much fuller than I do. I, I know the universe is big, just like the Grand Canyon is big. But it's the ones who look deeper into it, the, the ones who study it, the ones who go fully into it, who understand way more than me how big it actually is. And it's the same with God's love for us. It's ultimately beyond our capacity to define or to describe it. But yet God's given us the privilege of knowing it more and more and more each day. The love of Christ, it defies description. Please don't think you've ever understood it completely. Uh, Paul keeps going on and he kind of summarises at the end of verse 19. He says, And to know this love that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Uh, it, sounds, it sounds a bit strange that trying to understand that last little bit. Uh, but we can see that it's where Paul's prayer is ultimately directed, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. His, his great hope is that the Ephesians may know God's own fullness, the riches of his blessings, his character, and his completeness in their lives. You know, the, the more Jesus dwells in our hearts by faith, the more we are filled with all the fullness of God. And again, it's a prayer, of course, that can only be fulfilled ultimately in heaven. Uh, but nevertheless, it's a prayer for God's work towards that end to continue and to flourish in us all. Uh, finally, finally, Paul finishes his great prayer just with an expression of praise. He, he has to praise God after saying those two things, doesn't he? In verse 20, he says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Uh, and this last little bit, it's, such, it's just an encouragement to us in our prayers. No prayer is too big for God. We've just been talking about this God which is massive and powerful and beyond comprehension. You know, often the size of our prayers to God reflect how big and powerful we think God is. If we think God's weak and incapable of doing things, then our prayers will just be weak and small and tiny. If we think that he's moderately powerful, then we might ask for moderately powerful things. But if we really believe that our God is all-powerful, where nothing is impossible, he's the God of the Bible, God of the universe, God of everything, then there'll be no limit to what we feel free to ask of him. I do want to encourage you to pray big prayers because you know that God's big enough to answer them. Think, think of the most like, hardened unbeliever that you know, the one who seems most unlikely out of everyone you've ever met to become a Christian. Do you pray that they'll be saved knowing that God can and might? Do we think God's not up to it? You know, he made the universe, he holds stars in place, he knows the hairs on your head, he raised Jesus from the death. Do, do you think he can't do things? If God's really as powerful as the Bible says, then the sky's the limit. I encourage you, what will your big prayers be? Would it be that St. Stephen's doubles in size by next year? The building committee's probably not happy with that suggestion. Do you, th do you think, do you want God to give you the privilege of leading one unbeliever to know Jesus every year for the rest of your life? Do you pray that he might meet the need that you have at the moment? 
Do you pray that you might stop sinning in that way you continue to fail in? Do you pray that God would bring your whole family to Jesus? Because what Paul here says about God, it's incredible and it, it does, it should blow our minds. And he's not just able to do what we ask. I hope you can see that in verses there. He's able, Paul says, to do more than we ask. In fact, it says he's able to do more than we can even imagine. And he's able to do immeasurably, immeasurably more. Paul tells us that God is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. Do you believe that? Today, I want to encourage you to pray like you do. But I also, I just want us to see the connection between what Paul says here and the specific prayers that he prayed for the Ephesians. Look back to verse 16. It says, I pray that you may be strengthened. I pray that he may strengthen you, sorry, with power. And then in verse 18, I pray that you may have the power to grasp. Uh, Do you think what Paul says here then in verse 20 at the very end is an accident, power? Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to to his great power. I hope you can see what Paul's doing here in this prayer, in this letter. He's prayed for power in their lives, power to be more like Christ, power to know more of Christ's love, and he finishes by just assuring them that God is powerful. He's powerful to answer these big prayers, and he's just told the Ephesians about the big things that he's prayed for them, and he concludes by assuring them that God, yes, he is up to it. Uh, this kind of prayer that Paul prays, it feels like a big prayer. Uh, but it's a prayer that we need in our lives. We need this power in our lives from God. We need this kind of power that Paul prays for, don't we? We need the power of God to make us more Christ-like. We need the power of God to help us grasp the love of Christ. And we need to be filled with God's fullness. And, and we need it because we're so weak without but we also need it because we suffer. Because life isn't easy. And when we suffer, it's tempting just to pray for relief from the suffering or, or for the strength to endure it. But God's purposes is bigger than that. And he longs to use our trials to mature us, to make us more like Christ, to teach us more of his love, to fill us. So we need God's power for those things. And we need his power because we sin. We so often live in ways that, ways that grieve God, don't we? And when we do so, when we sin, we do it because we're foolish. We do it because we lack discipline. We do it because we're weak. And we forget how much Christ loves us. And so we need God's power to leave sin behind and to be more like Christ. And we also need it because we're lethargic, because we're complacent, you know, when we're spiritually lethargic, we just can't get moving by ourselves. We can't seem to stay motivated. We seem to drift. And we need God's power to stir within us the knowledge of Christ's love and to cause us to hunger for God's and Christ's likeness. And when we're complacent, we think we already know everything that there is to know. We think we've got God's love all wrapped up and we understand it completely. We think we understand the depths of his sacrifice for us. We think we understand all these things. We get complacent. We need God's power to show us 
that there's still more and more of our heart that needs Christ's influence and that there's more of Christ's love to understand and experience. Uh, so unless your, your Christian life is nothing like mine um, and you never suffer or you never struggle with sin uh, and unless you're never lethargic or you're never complacent, uh, then you, like me, we need God's power and we need his power to make us more like Jesus and to teach us more and more of Christ's love. Uh, this passage, this prayer, it's a reminder to us that we need it. Uh, but it also should be a timely reminder that what we need, God our mighty Father can provide it. We need it and he's up to it. It says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.